The word of our Lord from the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes. The preacher said, And then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him back up again. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two could withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would bless us as your people to hear it and to receive it and to live it. We pray all this in your son's blessed name. Amen. We mentioned last week that to have friends, you've got to be a friend. In fact, two weeks ago at the beginning of this series, one of my points or one of my uh, really closing thoughts was to be a friend so that you might have friends. Last week we also talked about the fact that the scriptures tell us there is a friendship that's even thicker than blood. And we connected that idea to the friendship that we have with God. We read in the scriptures that Abraham was a friend of God. And God calls us as His people to be His friends. He, he extends the offer of Himself and His friendship to us. And He's more faithful to us than any friend we can imagine. This morning, as I was sharing with the, the children, we're going to be talking specifically about friendship in the context of the church. All the way back in the book of Genesis... Not as early as Adam and Eve's sin, but very, very soon thereafter. There's a rhetorical question, and it's a question that Cain asks of God. When God asks Cain, where is your brother? Cain responds by saying, am I my brother's keeper? Cain thinks that the obvious answer to that question is no. He's responsible for himself. I'm responsible for me. Don't ask me where he is. You can go find him yourself. The implied answer of God to Cain, however, is why, yes, you are indeed his keeper. Who are you kidding in thinking otherwise? Am I my brother's keeper? 
all throughout the story of Scripture, we are given the answer, yes. Yes, you are. Our friends shape us into who we are. And even more than that, they continue to shape us into who we are becoming. It's part of what it means to be a person. I am a different person than I was 10 years ago. I am fundamentally the same, but I am awfully different. There's a lot that has changed about me, and much that has changed about me is because of the friends that surround me, by the people who invest their lives into my life, the people that I invest my life into. And so I am a dramatically different person than I was 10 years ago. I've been enriched in many ways by many friends, by many others who are around me. Of course, I'm shaped also by circumstances and life events. I'm shaped by what's going on in the world around me and how I respond to it. But much of my shaping in life, much of my development as a person in life, much of my identity is affected by others. And most of those others are friends. I have more friends than family. I've got a pretty good sized family, but I've got even more friends than family. And God gives us friends. They are gifts from Him to us. He places them in our lives. He brings them along our paths. Many of our friends go way on back, so to speak. They've shaped us for the longest periods of time in our lives. I've got some friends that, that I played buddy ball with back when I was Aiden's age. Just a few weeks ago, many of you were reacquainted with, with one of them. Some of you might have met him for the first time, Chris Williams. old red-headed friend from childhood. We went to school together way on back. We played baseball together. We've known each other for a long, long, long time. And he has shaped my life well beyond the shaping of many others. Some friends that God gives to us, he provides almost providentially not almost providentially, oftentimes explicitly providentially. Just when we needed them, they were there. They seem to have been abruptly fit into our lives, right at the moment of our need. Sometimes it was a moment of weakness or a moment of emptiness or a moment of loneliness. And God, like we said last week, He never leaves us lonely. Or at least He tries His best not to. Many of them came at just the right moment because things were going well. Stuff was working out like it hadn't before. And along comes a person that God has woven into the tapestry of our lives. Providentially, He has provided them. 
He has given them as gifts. And friends ought to be received in our lives as gifts. They ought to be cherished. Friends travel the journey of life and faith with us. God brings them along our paths to keep us from falling along the journey. To keep us from falling too far back. To keep us from falling away in distraction or despair. We need those friends because we're on a journey that is difficult, difficult to trek by ourselves. You could say it's impossible to trek by ourselves We won't get far by ourselves. But thankfully, God has given to us friends so that they might travel that journey with us. In fact, the local church can be seen as a congregation of friends. It's a lot like a congregation of friends because after all, last week we said that we are called to be friends of God. In fact, Paul, in his New Testament epistles, he talks an awful lot about that. About how we were once not a people. We were once far off. But God has made us to be a people. And He's brought us to Himself through His Son, Jesus. We have passed on over from forgottenness and lostness into The remembrance of God and the embrace of God. We have been brought to God's side to be His friends, to be His people. To be chosen as His family. And God's intention for us, it seems, is that we ought to be friends of one another. The interesting thing about the church is often we have very little connection apart from what we find here. Now we work together in life in many ways. You tell us about something that you're involved in and we think, hey, that might be an interesting thing to get involved in. And we start getting interested and more involved and we start pouring our lives into similar things. But most of us, before being here hardly knew each other if we knew each other at all that's the one of the interesting things about the church we're not all connected by by our genetics we're not all biological family members some of us might be but in the scheme of things very few we don't all work together. We're not all co-workers who get together for a, like a club meeting at lunch break. Some of us have worked together before. Some of us, you know, our employment might benefit one another. Some of us might have worked for the same company before. But what we have in the local church goes beyond mere profession. So we're not just biological family. We're not just, we're not just a professional family. 
We are brought together from various families. We're brought together from various employments. We're brought together from various interests. Some of you love football and are counting down the days for football. Some of you said, wait a minute, it's about to start back up again? Great. Others of you are more passionate about other things. Not all of us woodwork. Not all of us paint. Not all of us are on the road each week traveling. We come from a variety of places and a variety of interests and a variety of families and a variety of employments in life. And God has brought us all together and has made us His people. Has made us a congregation, a gathering together. And as friends of God, we ought to be friends of one another. As the church being called together from various scatterings, God calls us together to live in fellowship together, to live in community together. Because He has created us in His image, and that image is communal. I think she was almost disappointed a couple weeks ago when Lindsay told me I didn't use the phrase we were created for community. We were created for community. If you haven't read that book, you ought to. It's a really good book. We've been created in God's image to live in relationships. Every one of us has a belly button, which reminds us that we did not originate in ourselves, nor ought we to remain in ourselves. So in the context of the local church, God is calling us together so that His image in us might be repaired and restored and renewed. He is at work among us. And if we do not open up our lives to one another as friends of God and friends of one another... We circumvent His work in our lives. Friends are a gift gift to us. And they come with blessings. They come with, with blessings beyond just the mere blessing of having a friend. You know, it's good to have a friend. Sometimes you don't even want to do anything. You just want to know you've got somebody. But there are supplemental blessings or bonus gifts that God gives to us through the context of friendship. And what are those blessings? I I want to mention just four of them to you this morning. The first blessing is the blessing of encouragement. We all need encouragement. There are times where we are down and we need to be lifted up. There are times where we are hurting and we need simply someone to say, I'm thinking about you. How's about we grab a cup of coffee? There are times where we feel like we're working our fingers to the bone and nobody even notices. And we need the encouragement of of a friend to say, Man, I know you're wearing yourself out. 
I'm proud to be your friend. We all need encouragement. No matter what we're doing in life, no matter what vocation we've chosen, no matter who our family is, no matter how many kids we have, no matter where we are on the road of life, as we're on that journey, and especially as people of faith, as we're on the journey of faith, we need someone else to be an encouragement to us. And that's easy peasy to do now. A simple text, a simple grabbing of coffee, a simple Facebook message, a simple phone call, or even a handwritten card, David, if that's what you fancy. It's easy to be an encouragement to someone else. What's not easy is to get outside of our lives and think, hey, wait a minute, I probably ought to do something encouraging or say something encouraging. Lindsay and I got in last night. I don't think she's seen it yet because I got it right here with, in my Bible. Um, we got in. I, I checked the mail because we'd been out of town for a couple of days and there was a card in the mail and I brought it inside and I saw it was from the DeLeos and I opened it up and it was a sympathy card from Cheryl. Sorry, Rick, I know Cheryl signed it. It's her handwriting. <laughs> He's probably thinking, oh good, we sent a card. <laughs> Small things in life the smallest word of encouragement, the, small, the smallest note of, of I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, those things mean the world to our friends. And God, thankfully, blesses our lives with the, the bonus gifts of encouragement, strength that we find through that encouragement through our friends. Friends also bring with them a celebration. Perhaps even, even, I don't want to say more, but, but definitely flashier than the, the daily and mo, uh, momentary words of encouragement and, and encouragement that we find in our friends. One of the things we need is we need people to celebrate with us. We need people to celebrate our victories. We need people to not just remember our birthdays because, you know... As we get older, sometimes we wish people would forget about them. Uh, we, we're trying to forget about them ourselves. But, but we need people to celebrate big things in life, like perhaps a new job, a new baby, a marriage. Celebration of 20 years of marriage, a promotion at work, an A on a test. Those big things, those things that we've worked toward, those things that we've hoped for, those things that we've been praying for, when they happen, we need someone to say, that's great. I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you. Let's have a meal. Let's get the whole gang together and go out. Celebration is very important in lives in our lives. We need it. 
we need to celebrate what God is doing. It's, it's not coincidence. It's not mere happenstance that God gave us one day a week to gather together as His people to celebrate His presence among us and to celebrate His work through us. This day ought to be a time where we celebrate God is with us. And you know what? He did all these things this past week through us. And we're praying for Him to do all these other things through us this coming week. Sunday is a day of celebration. It's the day of resurrection. That's why we don't even fast on a Sunday. Not even during Lent. Because it's time to celebrate. It's time to shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We need, as God's people, others to celebrate life's joys with us. To celebrate faith's victories with us. Ecclesiastes tells us pity. Pity on the person who has no one with him. Pity the one who is alone, who toils and works and has no one to celebrate, no one to enjoy those blessings of hard labor with Him. In placing friends in our lives, God also gives us the blessing of a gift that you might not often think about when you think of friends, but it's very important. The blessing of confession. In the New Testament, we're told that we are to confess our sins one to another. To pray for one another so that we might be healed. In the context of confession, God offers us the promise of forgiveness and healing. And we need a friend that we can bear our souls to. Someone to whom we can admit our faults. Someone to whom we can confess our failures, our shortcomings, and yes, our sins. We need someone. Too often... We get caught up in the idea that we don't need that. All we need is Jesus, our high priest. And we can confess to Him and nobody else has to know about it. And by confession, the New Testament is not talking about making a public spectacle of our sins. It's not talking about publicly humiliating ourselves and our families and those that we've sinned against. It's talking about being able to say to another human face, I have blown it. And to be told by another human face. Christ forgives those who confess. And He can heal this. We need someone that we can empty our souls to. And thankfully, 
We don't have to find random strangers on the street to do that. We can find a friend. Better yet, we can call that one friend that we normally go to. Say, hey, I need to talk. In the context of God's people, God blesses us with friends so that we might be encouraged, so that we might celebrate together, so that we might confess to one another, but also so that we might hold one another accountable. Because one of the blessings that we don't find in all other friendships in life, one of the blessings that we find in the context of friendship within the body of Christ is that of accountability. We need sometimes to have the, the, the hot light of the spotlight on us. To answer questions about our lives from a friend. Hopefully, that hot light doesn't always come with having to make confession for things that we've done wrong. What God gives us, the reason God gives us accountability in life is so that we can learn what it means to say, hey, I've walked for a week without falling. I was stumbling like crazy at first. Bobbling around like old Pippin. You know, making ten steps and falling. But eventually, I'm able to run the marathon and run the race. And keep up as long as I've got someone there. Every every few K, I don't know how you'd put that. To say you can keep doing it, keep going. Don't slow down now. Sometimes accountability tells us that. Now's not the time to relax. Now's not the time to fall back. Sometimes our accountability in life needs to be, you need to rest a little bit. You need a water break. But God surrounds us with friends. He places friends in our lives. And there ought to at least, there ought to be one person in our lives who can speak truth into our lives, sometimes hard truth into our lives, sometimes truth that we don't want to hear, and sometimes that truth is actually good. Like, hey, you need to back off of work. You need to take a day off. That's a good thing. You know, we, I mentioned last week that God does, He doesn't meddle in our lives, but yeah, He's got an awful lot to do business-wise in our lives. We need friends who will sometimes say those things we don't want to hear. Hey, my worry is that you might be neglecting your family. When's the last time you took a break? Hey, my worry is you seem to be awfully stressed out. When's the last time you played a round of golf? When's the last time you went out on the lake? Now, some of us, we might be 
doing that sort of stuff way too much. And there are friends there then who can hold us accountable. In one of our small groups, the one that meets at our house on Tuesday nights, some of you are great participants in that. We've been going through a book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And one of the things that is pervasive about the, the Celtic approach to reaching new people is the emphasis that's placed on the community of people themselves. There's a, there's a particular priority on community and a particular brand of community that the Celtic people had that was astonishing. They shared life together. They spent time together. They sang together. They prayed together. They read together. They worked together. Because it wasn't just a monastic life where everyone's just engrossed in scriptures and prayer and worship. Instead, they tilled gardens together. They built houses together. They were constantly together. One of the comments that's been made multiple times in the context of that group has been that they feel like we've got some sense of that community here at Faith. We're able to pick up the phone call, pick up the phone and place a call to get together with someone and there's friends who are willing to get get together at the drop of a hat. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing what we find in the in the context and in the community of friends. Particularly those friends that God has knit together as His people. Unfortunately, what was so natural for the Celtic people to have that sense of otherness, that sense of community together, that sense of sharing life, is often so unnatural for us post-enlightenment people. We think life is about me. We think life is about me and what I can figure out and just those people that I want to bless. In fact, love for family is often love for my family. So what are we to do? I want to suggest a couple of things to you that I think are applicable to to us right here, right now. And some of you can already check these off your list. Some of you can check one. Some of you can't check any of them. You need to get to work. First thing, these are easy things. Join a small group. David mentions often, we've got four small groups that are actively going right now that are still meeting every week. And as soon as the studies that they're walking through end, we'll be starting up new ones. Join a small group. You may say, hey, I can't do it right now, but give me four or five weeks. When you're already start a new one, I'm in it. it. When you join a small group, it's, it's almost like it's easy friendship. It's like you're getting paid to be a friend. You know, that, that's, that's easy. The friend that always grabs, your, that always grabs the ticket and lets you be the man with the little alligator hands like the Geico commercial... 
that's, that's an easy friendship. It works well. Because in the context of small groups, you're able to slip into friendship kind of covertly. You're going in undercover. But what you find in the context of a small group is you begin sharing life together. You begin thinking together. You're able to even sometimes to disagree and laugh about it. You're able to puzzle over things together. I, I hear the Sunday night when at David's house, a, a real dandy for puzzling over and, and wrestling with hard, hard ideas. Join a small group. You need it. And you can say, hey, I'm not joining this thing to make friends. I'm joining this thing because I need to learn. That's fine, but hopefully you'll make friends. The other is find a friend here. Here at Faith, find a friend. Someone with whom you can share life and meet often. Someone that you can pour yourself into and somebody that can pour themselves into you. Someone that you can check on. Someone that's willing to check on you. I would be delighted if back in the our literal fellowship hall, um, back in the hallway, if after the service, if I heard somebody like a little child saying, hey, will you be my friend? I would be delighted. I would say, success. That's all I needed. Sometimes it literally takes saying, hey, I need somebody. I've been the, the other person on the other end of that phone call before. When you get a call and you're like, hey, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. And they say, hey, I'm just going to come right out with it. I need somebody. I need somebody that, that can get together with me and talk with me and be a friend. And sometimes we need to make ourselves vulnerable enough to say, I need that. We've heard probably a thousand times Faith Methodist Church is one of the friendliest congregations. One of the most loving congregations. I want to challenge you. You go home today without a friend, it's your fault. But congregation, if somebody among you goes home today without a friend, it's your fault. Friendship works both ways. Last week I read a, a short passage from the first book of the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This week I would like to read a short passage from the last book. Last week we read a short passage about Frodo complaining about Samwise and Pippin and Mary tagging along with him and plotting against him so that they, he wouldn't go and bear the ring alone. And this week, we've gotten to the very end of the journey. And it's just Frodo and Sam. They've reached Mount Doom, and they've got the ring in tow, and 
Frodo has been injured, he's been stabbed, he's been stung, he's, he's been on this long trek, and he's had just this one friend, Sam, with him. And he is despairing, and he's hurt, and he's injured, and he can't go anymore. And Sam looked at him and wept in his heart, but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes. I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So get you up. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just, let, just tell him where to go and he'll go. And as Frodo clung upon his back, arms loosely about his neck, legs clasped firmly under his arms, Sam staggered to his feet. And then, to his amazement, he felt the burden light. He had feared that he would have barely strength to lift his master alone. Beyond that, he had expected to share in the dreadful dragging weight of the cursed ring. But it was not so. Whether because Frodo was so worn by his long pains, wound of knife and venomous sting, and sorrow, fear, homeless wandering, or because some gift of final strength was given to him, Sam lifted Frodo with no more difficulty than if he were carrying a hobbit child pig aback in some romp on the lawns or hayfields of the Shire. He took a deep breath and he started off. You can't carry your friend's burdens, but you can sure carry your friend. We are not responsible for them, but we are responsible to them. There's a friend in your life who sometimes needs to be carried. Needs to be lifted up. Needs to be walked down the road of that journey a little bit. And if we could take a note from the friendship of Sam to Frodo... I want to encourage you, just take a deep breath and start off. And miraculously, we'll see that we've found and enjoyed a newfound strength. Let's pray.